0: the heart of Life Sharjah Beats, Life Beats with Sally Musa only on Pulse 95
1: Sabah al-khair Hala and welcome to Life Beats with me Sally Musa You're about to meet one of the region's most sought after presenters coaches and motivational speakers Egyptian Australian Shireen Metwally has carved out a stunning career presenting programs and events interviewing some of the world's most famous people, including Richard Branson, Zac Efron, Gigi Hadid, Penelope Cruz, Nicolas Cage, Prince Albert of Monaco, and Lewis Hamilton, amongst many others. And she's now building her business in public speaking, coaching, and mentoring after being asked for help in this area from a member of the UAE royal family. I sat down with Shireen for an in-depth interview into how it all started for her, From the accidental presenter to the powerhouse names that she has met, including what she's learned from the likes of Richard Branson and the CEO of Happiness, Chris Gardner. She also details the incredible struggles that she's gone through to make her dreams a reality and even talks about motherhood and how that has changed her. It's a story that you do not want to miss. That's all coming up next on Life Beats with me, Sally Musa on Pulse 95.
0: The Heart of Sharjah. Of Pulse 95. Life Beats. Life Beats. With Sally Moussa. Only on Pulse 95. 95.
1: Shireen Matweli lights up any stage that she steps on. As a bilingual presenter and motivational speaker, she's not only glamorous and intelligent, but someone who understands how to bring out the best in her guests and her audience. It's what has put her at the top of her game as someone who's requested by some of the world's biggest celebrities. Recently, Shireen invited me into her beachfront home for an intimate and revealing interview detailing her incredible story. The walls of her home are covered in beautiful photographs of her and her family, including the newest addition, her six-month-old daughter Yasmin. As soon as I walk in, Yasmeen greets me with boundless excitement and the biggest smile I've ever seen. Clearly, she takes after her mom. Yasmeen is a gift in so many ways, not least because of the struggle that Shireen had in conceiving her. It's a story that she shares with me here for the first time, that's coming up later. Something that's quite striking is Shireen's generous spirit as she's prepared a delicious homemade breakfast in her garden to celebrate the new season before we start our interview. As we settle in, we start talking family and growing up Arab in Australia. And I ask her about how she became a presenter in the first place. Take us back to how you came to Dubai yeah. and setting up your company on stage. Yeah. And how did that happen? And, Gosh. you know, were you always the, the kind of person who wanted to be a presenter? And uh, Not at
2: all. It was by default. What I'm doing right now is completely, I would say, um, faked. It's, uh, I mean, I'm a banker to start off with and it happened that I love to talk. <laughs> I'm sure many people that know me know this. And it just happened to be that my boss at the time was like, okay, realize that I love to talk because I'd always be the one that gets into trouble in, in, in the sales meetings. And when marketing called and said they needed somebody to um, to, for a presentation to university students, about financial literacy, he's like, "Oh, I have the perfect person for you." And so then I get a call from marketing and saying, "Oh, we need to speak to you." And uh, then I go and speak to them. They're like, "We need you to present in front of these, you know, university students." So I was like, "I don't, you know," at, the, at first I was a little bit taken back because I've never done that before, and I was busy. You know, you're busy doing a job, and I didn't have time to then to prepare and to go speak to university students. They're like, we need you to do it. And I had no choice. My boss was like, you gotta do this. I remember going there for the first time. That was that was the turning point. I say people, you know, there's a few turning points in everyone's life that shapes you to who you, who you are and who you become. And I would say that was definitely one of the turning points that, you know, I could have either completely flunked Uh, or not enjoyed it or the the other way which is what happened I really enjoyed it so basically I I kind of sat there and first I had to kind of understand what am I going to be speaking about I'm speaking to 20 to 23 year old kids right not kids adults and I've been there you know if somebody was coming from a bank wanting to speak to me about financial literacy I'd be zoned out I'd be like turned off straight away No, so I was like, how can I position this subject to be interesting, of one that would be of value that they would actually listen to? And that's what I teach now is to, you know, whatever subject that you have, you can make it interesting and you can make it inspiring and entertaining and that's that's the formula that I created. So I looked at these guys and I was like, what would make them interested about finance? So you know, I had to kind of take a step back. What was I interested in when I was 21? You know, a lot of times they're not buying property at that point, that comes up a little bit later. They're not buying corporate property or commercial properties. They're not buying businesses. Sure, that will come later. um, And they'll probably want to know the the know-how. But right now, they're into credit cards. So I started off my conversation by saying, who here has been declined a credit card? 60, 70% of the room put their hand up. I said, do you want to know how to get your credit card approved? Exactly how to respond on your application form? To, to increase your chances of approval. Everyone's hand went up. And everyone was like, yep, off their, whatever, off their phones, and they were concentrating. And I got them, I got them hooked, and then I gave them all the different ways how banks assess credit, which a lot of people maybe don't know. on a, From a very small scale, about for a $5,000 credit card. You know, banks particularly assess, it's this credit scoring, ultimately. And I, I gave them that understanding of what that credit scoring meant and how it worked that for example if you who here lived at home or just recently moved out and you're in an application form they'll be proud they to be like yeah I live on my own and I'd be putting down their recent for example residence. whereas they don't realize that that actually reduces their credit scoring because banks doesn't don't like them seeing hopping from one place to another they like consistency they like st- stability so you just put down I mean if your parents and you still have a room let's just say at your family's residence, put down that as your family residence. Don't say that you've moved out so much. I mean, your mail's still gonna to go to your family home, and that's fine, and, and technically, you still do have a room there. So don't be showing that you move around a lot, because banks don't like that. I gave them everything else that the banks don't like. And so for them, that was really insightful. So yeah, I mean, it covered financial literacy, and I was able to cover all the other key messages that the bank wanted me to, to go through, but they were like, Wow, and you know, you know, you've done a pretty good job when after the presentation, people like running up to you and want to ask you more questions. That's when you know that you've kind of, you know, won them over. You've you've gained their trust, and they want to speak to you further. They're like, "Can we get your card?" And I'm like, "Well, I don't, yeah. I don't deal with credit cards, but I was more in corporate banking." Um, and so that's what happened right after. I remember right after that presentation, they were like coming up to me, asking me more questions, mm. and um, and that was when I was like, oh. I actually really liked that and I enjoyed that. So anyway and the feedback of course came back and they said oh we, we want that girl again we want that same banker because the previous banker was like you know 50 years old with a bit of a belly and you know grey hair not the ideal person to present to university students and uh, anyway they you know the market of course had me booked every fortnight I was doing a speech somewhere but I wanted then to talk about other subjects not just about financial literacy and banking or not as much and that gave me though the platform to realize oh i actually really do enjoy speaking so by default then i was like okay in order for me to get better i'm a huge believer in if you're going to be going can be anything be the best at it so get educated get trained to become the best i did not have any formal education on communication so it was it was a new path but i realized that i enjoyed it and i loved it and so that's when I went back and I said, okay, what can I be studying mm. to get better at this? So then I enrolled into the Sydney Academy of Film and Television um, and I enjoyed it even further because that gave me the exposure behind the camera. And then I then went, like, I love it. And I want to I be trained by the best. So then I went to LA for a year and went to the New York Film Academy and did improvisation, um, live TV, all the, the various things that I absolutely wanted to get into. I was trained by one of some of the best coaches, even Alan DeGeneres' coaches, um, which I loved. And that really gave me, I guess, the platform now that I'm able to go onto any stage, no matter how many people are in front of me and do my thing and give me the, you know, I have the confidence to do so because I've been trained in it and it's taken me for several years of experience.
1: What um, were some of the key things that you learned in that time that you, you couldn't have learned anywhere else?
2: There isn't just one to be honest, there's a whole bunch of stuff, it's a a combination of things. I mean first is I would say, I'll give you the most important, I would say right now and this is something that I teach, but it is to know your audience. If you know your audience, you're able to speak to them and you're able to speak to them in their language. And I'm not talking about Arabic or English or French, talking about them in their language. Like for example, taking it back to the university students, I spoke to them in their language. I didn't go and use in big words they wouldn't know or made it boring. My tonality was kind of fun and exciting. I was giving them knowledge that I had, mm-hmm. right? So I was sharing them the secrets, which is basically for someone that's experienced, i was like, wow, please tell us. Yeah. So if you go into anything, first of all, your biggest question should be, who am I speaking to? If you're speaking to, whether it's a female demographic, it'll be different to what a mixed demographic will be, or whether it was a, it's just a male, Um, dominant demographic and that's the first question that I ask when I do say when they that I'm doing a speech I'll say who am I speaking to who's my demographic Um, how many people are they what's their age group where they come from etc because I'd want to understand how am I going to start it off I want to speak their language and I would say that was the biggest thing I learned over the years for sure so fast forward gone many years I then got asked and I then got poached to do various different TV programs but even the live stuff was always what I loved. And not everyone can do it. And this is what I think I loved even more. I think a lot of people in terms of reading behind a camera on auto cue, I mean that that's not very difficult instead. And I'm saying not very difficult in comparison to going on a stage and not having an auto cue and not reading. And then you're improvising, you're understanding what your key messages are and you're not reading, so you'd have a bit of an idea what you want to say. And you're almost acting it out and you're entertaining the crowd. Mm. Completely different skill sets. Yeah. Um, So not everyone who can be behind a camera can go up on stage and do their thing. Um, Whereas everyone that can pretty much go, and that's why I wanted to be trained on the most difficult thing, which is pretty much live broadcast or live TV or live being on stage. Because once you can do that, you can do absolutely anything.
1: Coming up next, find out what Shireen learned from Richard Branson and the CEO of Happiness, Chris Gardner. That's coming up on Life Beats with me, Sally Musa on Pulse ninety five. The heart
0: of Sharjah. Pulse ninety five, keeping it local all, all day, day every. every day. Life Beats. Life Beats with Sally Musa only on Pulse ninety five.
1: Welcome back to Life Beats with me, Sally Musa. Now, international speaker and coach Shirin Mitwali has interviewed many of the world's top CEOs and celebrities. And here, she tells me what she's learned from two of the best, Richard Branson and the CEO of Happiness, Chris Gardner.
2: My first interview with Richard Branson, I think was like in the year 2010. And that was an eye opener. That was like, wow, you know, I loved meeting him. He was such an incredible human and inspiring on various different levels. And that was when I was like, okay, I definitely love this. I definitely want to use my skill to get up close and personal with various different figures what did you learn from Richard Branson oh gosh so many so much stuff Um, first of all him being so humble you know and this is something that I always say and I might be cheeky in saying this but he's the guys okay worth around six billion but I mean he's so humble he seems down-to-earth very much more humble than some of the people that I meet you know, in the region, you know, that don't, they're not so much don't have the wealth, but haven't achieved as much. And that is a huge icon, how a man can just be so humble. He'll always stand up and greet you, right? Just little things like that that you notice from him. Um, He'll, you know, look at you in the eye and he'll be, he'll be so polite. Now, you know, depending on, and and of course I got the heads up, if he likes you, he'll definitely, you know, answer your questions at length. If he doesn't, he'll give you like really short answers. Sure, so I have to kind of build that rapport with him um, we travel, I travelled with him to LA and he was incredible, he was actually, and I had to kind of observe him um, it was with Sam, his son and of course Richard and he just went, it was on the new V Australia that so was on the very first flight to LA and that was a really cool experience because it just showed you how humble he was and how incredible um, he went to, I think it was the premium economy or the economy and, and he just grabbed a baby and it was the he baby, just grabbed him yeah away. the baby was with the dad being carried by the dad and he just grabbed him and he took him to the first class um, lounge and so the father just followed really he didn't really tell the father to come along but the father was just follow he's like hey you've got my baby and he was just he just loves kids and he just this was like a cute really cute little kid. The dad was just like so it was like first of all Richard Branson's is going through the you know the actual cr- aircraft but try, trying to get people's feedback. 'Cause it was the first flight and he was on it and just really generally wanted to see what people thought. But he found this baby and took, brought him to the first class cabins and uh, had a drink and everything. So offered the father something to drink and to eat. And I was and I was there witnessing it. And there's like they was like, Do you mind getting me a, getting a photo? So I was like snapping away. Cause this is like to this baby, it would be everything for him to grow up saying, Oh my god. I just Richard Branson casually just holding me when I was like the baby would have been like eight months or so, but he was just he's just a really cool human. He doesn't mind being you know kind of being laughed at. He was doing all silly things, but you know for entertainment. Yeah, and he's just yeah I I learned so much. I mean the biggest thing that I learned I think from him from a business stance was um, you know you're not going to be great at everything. You know as an entrepreneur you're not going to be great at your finance. I mean there's very different elements of your business you know be the finance your marketing your operations your leadership etc right and he'll say like I I definitely can say that I'm not great at finances and so you hire the best person you can to offset your weaknesses you know in that area Mm -hmm. so you need to understand as an entrepreneur as a business owner what your strengths and weaknesses are and then you hire people that are around you that are better than you in those areas because you know, otherwise something's gonna give Basically, in your businesses. You don't hire people that are exactly like you with your same weaknesses because that area of that business is gonna be lacking. You hire people that are gonna compliment you. So he's got a great, I mean he flies everywhere with his CFO and he's got a fantastic CFO and that's his right hand basically because he means him. You know, and that's one of the most critical points in business you know, is the numbers. Um, so yeah, that was a huge um, learning. I guess a lesson that I learned from him for sure. Who are
1: the other people that you've interviewed that you just made an impact on you? But, but maybe somebody who surprised you?
2: I would say definitely Chris Gardner probably was definitely a, a figure that I absolutely love interviewing. He's the man behind Pursuit to Happiness, that Will Smith plays. The movie, in the movie. yes.
1: The CEO of Happiness. Yeah, as the he's CEO's
2: known. Of Happiness. He's he's fantastic and I love him. He's just, you know what, he just exudes this energy, which I absolutely love. And being surrounded by him makes me realise, God, I need to. People think like I'm I have this great energy. And I hang out with him, I'm thinking, I don't have enough energy. Um, he is just, yeah, a great soul, and he's the one that like very much embeds to any everybody that if you're going to be anything, if you're gonna to choose to be anything, whether it's a radio presenter, whether it's just a, a normal presenter, whether it's a designer, a gardener. Be the best at it. Find out how you can become the best at it. Value and appreciate what you do. Um, and that will give you so much reward. So there's this great video uh, that actually I play and it's, it's a combination of all these professions, the pizza maker, to the gardener, to the garbage collector, to the trolley collector. Them doing their jobs with absolute passion. The window cleaner that's kind of doing it while he's playing his music. Mm-mm. And doing it such a, a great technique that you really see that they love what they're doing and they're passionate about what they do, regardless of what it is that they're doing. Um, And that's how you excel in life, is to really respect what you're doing and doing it at its best.
1: Coming up next, find out who Shireen still wants to interview and why. Keep it here on Life Beats on Pulse 95. This is Pulse 95.
0: Of a
2: story to tell.
0: Life beats. Life beats with Sally Musa only on Pulse ninety five.
1: Welcome back to Life Beats on Pulse ninety five. I'm speaking to presenter and life coach Shireen Matwally, and I asked her of all the people she still wants to interview, who does she still want to talk to, and why? Who do you still want to interview?
2: Ah, oh, Oprah. <laughs> That'd be why? Me is fantastic. I think she's just somebody who has, again, so much humbleness and I think she's a. you know, she says that she's, what she's achieved is beyond her imagination. But it's like it has been baby steps along the way, her persistence, her resilience um, in terms of what she's achieved. She stood up when she needed to, like, for example, you know, when the news station, for example, wanted to change her name. And said, look, we don't think Oprah is salable to the demographic and to our viewers, we want you to change your name. And she's like, no, you know, I mean, she could easily have done that being a black woman that's trying to break it into the media world. She could have easily given in and said, well, maybe I should, maybe that would make me a little bit more salable, make me a little bit more marketable. Mm. But she stood up and said, no, I don't want to be known for any other name. And now it's the most well known name in the world. Correct. I mean, just I mean, little stories like that that I absolutely love. And then how, what she negotiated with her with her show was quite impressive as well. Yeah. You know, going back and, t- you know, she actually negotiated a percentage share of the profitability of the business, the production company being Harpo Productions. That's what made her to become a billionaire. Yeah, so, I mean, there, there's a lot of that, not just to interview her for Oprah, but more so like the decisions that she's made along the way that has led to her result.
1: Her turning points.
2: Correct. Um, another one is J.K. Rowling. J.K. Rowling would be an amazing uh, person to interview. Again, someone who, I mean, I love studying basically successful people. I love studying because I do this whole keynote about the, dono- the common denominator around successful people. So I've had to study some of the greats. Um, J.K. Rowling is, is a fantastic story and a lot of people probably don't don't know the story. They know of the book, they know of Harry Potter, they know that it's a movie, they know it's, you know, whatever, all the merchandise that's been around Harry Potter, but they don't actually know that she, you know, she comes from a very humble background. Very, And the very,
1: number of rejections yeah, that she got for her book.
2: It was like, you know, over 10 no's. And she, um, and the, exa- the example that I always give is, you know, when you go through, she wrote the book and, you know, she had a friend that basically read it that said, oh my God, I love it. You should definitely do something mm. with it. And this was time pre-internet, pre-social media. So she had to print out that manuscript and send it out to the publishers by just finding them on the yellow pages right so finding out who were the in a world that you probably don't even know who to send it out to I mean it's right. not in that you know around in that industry where you know oh that's the top publisher so she obviously had to just take a gamble saying these are the top publishers let's just send it out to the first one she doesn't have a lot of money she was incredibly poor on social security she wrote the book in fact and of course in a cafe because she didn't have heating in her in mm. her apartment mm. and she had a son and her partner had left her at that point so there's a lot of you know there was there was a lot of negative around her around her life but she kept going
1: coming up next find out the incredible struggles that shireen herself went through to realise her own dreams. It's Pulse ninety five, and you're listening to Life Beats with me, Sally Musa. This is Pulse ninety five.
0: The heart of Sharjah.
1: With
2: a story to tell.
0: Life beats. Life beats with Sally Musa only on Pulse ninety five. Ninety five.
1: Yes, it is Life Beats and I'm in conversation with the international speaker and life coach Shireen Mitualli. Shireen tells me that although she's now built a burgeoning career in media and public speaking, she's fought hard to realize her dreams. Tell me about one of the most difficult times for you and how you got through it.
2: I think for me, there's, there's been so many difficult times. There's been rejection. And this is what I love about, I guess, the story now. People only see it now. And see the fact that yeah, I can say yes and no to various clients. Um, I can, you know, I can travel anywhere around the world. I've set up my businesses, and I'm, I'm now an investor in other people's businesses. And they only see what it is now. They didn't actually see the tough points. And the tough points were, yeah, for sure. I mean, I've been. I mean, I left home at the age of 19, and I come from a, a fairly strict Muslim family. My father did say, and he said, "Well, if you're going to leave home, you're you're cut from everything." So and
1: you decided to leave
2: anyway. Yeah, I, I left knowing that. And and I would say that has been the probably that was the best thing that he could say to me. Because there's a there's a power behind not having a security blanket, right? If you know you don't have a security blanket, you don't have anyone that will come and rescue you. You don't have, let's just say, an inheritance fund that I can, you know, kind of rely on. You've only got you, right? And, and what did you do? Age I, of 19. I worked I was studying and I worked and I earned enough to cover because I wanted to live out on my own which was of course not encouraged by my family until I was married well I didn't get married until I was 31 so of course you know and that's the case in terms of the culture but I, I still did it because I needed my freedom I needed to explore who I was not who what my family wanted to be not that I'm recommending anybody everybody else to do that but that was just something I decided I had to do you know I felt I was very restricted um, and I wasn't being me I wasn't being encouraged to explore it me you know basically at the time I was working whether it was in fashion whatever I got whatever job that I had to do to support myself and to save and that was the biggest thing about I'm I would say I would definitely say I'm a good saver because of that because I always had enough had to save enough in the bank for my security, my own security blanket, because I knew that if, let's just say I had to, I had to pay rent or I had to buy something, I didn't have my family. Although, like, of course, my mum would turn around and say, "Well, tell me if you need anything," and I'd be like, "No, I'm fine, I'm good." Um, but like, when your when your dad says to you, like, if you're gonna leave, you're gonna be you're straight away, my will, will be changed. You'll be cut out of our house, and don't think you're gonna come back you have to kind of think in a way now that
1: sometimes it's the emotional attachment though obviously this is being your dad was there a point where you thought about it and, and thought I don't want to be cut off from my family or no it was just emotionally emotionally
2: though? for sure I mean they're only I mean, your family yeah ultimately. and uh, my and my siblings my three brothers for sure I mean I think that's what probably made me so much stronger was at the point where I was like okay I have to learn to be independent I have to be learning I have to learn to live on my own of course and and don't get me wrong they still uh, he still opened the doors afterwards when I came back I think it was like around a year that I lived on my own and I continued to but they were like okay they felt bad that they had or my dad had of course cut me so, I mean, they still let me, they still let me in, of course, afterwards, um, but it's I didn't have, that's when I really grew up, to be honest, that's when I realised, okay, I can. I need to rely on myself, that's and that, just was, that extraordinary. was the case for, now then, 10 years, until, I mean, I didn't get married until I was 31, mm. technically. That's amazing, I mean, yeah.
1: now you've, obviously, you've got your company, you do mentoring, you do public mm. speaking workshops, you do so many different things, There's, Uh, a lot of different things that you do. I'm very
2: much focused on the education. I think that's where the biggest turning point has been. Like I've kind of explored the whole presenting and all facets of presenting. Then I had to kind of really assess what is it that I absolutely love to do? And I had to do my own assessment and said, okay, what is it that I really, really enjoy? yeah, I absolutely love interviewing, getting up close and personal with these amazing personalities. But the biggest thing that kind of gave me more joy, and it kind of came as well, like completely, you say, you know, by accident. And it was because uh, I had a, a royal family member that approached me saying, can you help me and coach me with public speaking?
1: Coming up in the next hour, Shireen tells me what's the biggest thing holding people back from using their voice. And she shares with me her simple strategy for getting over it. This is a real game changer that you do not want to miss. Keep it here on Life Beats on Pulse 95.
0: You're listening to Pulse 95. Pulse 95. This is Pulse 95 with a story to tell. Life Beats, Life Beats with Sally Musa only on Pulse 95.
1: Welcome back to the second hour of Life Beats with me, Sally Musa, on Pulse 95. Shirin Mutuali is one of the region's most sought-after presenters, life coaches, and motivational speakers. Carving out a stunning career presenting programs and events, she's interviewed some of the world's most famous people, including Richard Branson, Zac Efron, Gigi Hadid, Lewis Hamilton, and many more. And She's learned what it takes to be successful and the most effective ways to give others a voice. She's now building her business as a communication coach and mentor after being asked by a member of the UAE Royal Family for training in public speaking. We continue our conversation next, as Shireen tells me what's the number one thing that's holding people back from using their voice and their platform and her simple strategy to get over it. And later in the conversation, she also tells me about the struggles of conceiving the love of her life, her daughter Yasmin, and how motherhood has changed her. That's all next on Life Beats on Pulse 95.
0: From the heart of Sharjah. From the heart of Sharjah, From the heart of Sharjah Pulse 95. Pulse 95. Something to talk about. Life Beats. Life Beats. With Sally Musa. Only on Pulse 95. 95.
1: Welcome back to the second hour of Life Beats with me, Sally Musa. Now, have you ever needed to speak publicly but felt like something was holding you back, like you were paralyzed and couldn't get your message across. In training hundreds of people all over the world, Shireen Mutualdi has discovered the one thing that holds people back and the simple strategy that they can use to get over it. She shares it with me here.
2: I had a a royal family member that approached me saying, can you help me and coach me with public speaking? Because I'm doing way more presentations and way more speeches and I wanna become better. And of course I can't say no. And that was that was going back now three, four years ago when I didn't have a course. I had to develop the course for her. And um, it was incredible because, I mean, of course I couldn't say no, I said, okay. And she's like, when can we start? And I'm like, I need to prepare the material first. And then because how do you teach somebody what you do when you just, you, you do it naturally. I can go up on stage and just host an event. I don't even think about it twice now about the little things that I'm doing I just do them automatically. Can
1: anybody do what you do?
2: Trained yes pretty much if I train them yes they can. Sure you're gonna have that charisma you're gonna have the personality but if you're willing to adapt and you're willing to work really hard for sure mm. anything is taught. And so you develop the course? So I developed the course and that's the same course that pretty much I've developed further that I deliver now
1: what is the biggest thing that you see holding back people when you know they want to get up and present they want to get up and and speak to a crowd or you know get their ideas across to anybody
2: the fear of being judged that's what's stopping people the fear of being judged and I've dealt with so many people that you know we get them to write it down what it is that is stopping you and it ultimately comes down to that you know, I don't want to look silly. I don't want to, you know, I don't want people to look at me and think I'm, you know, better than them or whatever, whatever the case is, or I don't want to muck up my lines. It all comes down to, I don't want to be judged by the people that I'm speaking to. During the course, I mean, we go through a number of things, especially, you know, um, uncovering. Um, the fear but number one you have to like you have to take into consideration whatever platform that you've chosen whether it's social media is a platform so people are also like kind of somewhat scared to get behind the camera and to talk the stage is a platform for you to be heard you need that platform look at all the politicians look at everyone that has been successful to date they've used that platform to their advantage to voice out their message to be heard by the masses whatever they want to be talking about, right? Mm-hmm. So you've got to think it would be a hard gig if you couldn't use that stage, if you had to talk to everybody one by one, right? And to, to try to convince them or influence them in, or inspire them in some sort of way. Whereas a stage allows you to speak to 100, 1,000, 10,000 people at a time. That's incredibly powerful. So in fact, you need the stage more than the stage needs you, mm. if that makes sense. Yeah. How do you get over that? I'll give you my biggest thing and this is again it's covered in my course but I'll, I'll cover it here for you my rule around perception and this goes to on social media and this goes for presenting on stage about eliminating this fear of potentially being judged and I have to sum it up as this there's going to be a third of people out of 100% of people in the world there'll be a third which works out to be 33.333% of people that are going to absolutely love you Right, they'll absolutely love everything about you, and they're your family, they're your circle. They'll be there for you because they know who you are in your core. Right, the other thirty-three point three 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 percent of people, the third there, is going to be on the fence about you. They're unsure. They don't know you. They don't know. They don't know who you really are, and they maybe some of them probably don't even care who you are. Right, they're just undecided. And that's cool. Now in the future you may want to convert these particular people once they know you further and hey, they might go into the like category and love category. The, other, the remaining third, the 33.333% of people are going to dislike you regardless what you do. It is impossible to please everybody. It is impossible to make everybody love you. They're gonna find anything about you. The fact that you have dark hair, the fact that you have brown eyes, the fact that I'm tall, well, the fact that I have an Australian accent, the fact that somebody out there is blonde with blue eyes or maybe she's too pretty or maybe she's not pretty enough or maybe she's short, maybe she's tall, whatever it is, they're not going to like you. Not for anything that you've done, by default. They may not like me because of my religion. It doesn't matter. I haven't done anything, but they're just not going to like me. And that's okay. If you understand that model, that third of people, you're not. Go- they're not going to like you and you accept it and you surrender to it, then that's when you're able to really focus on that third that absolutely love you and the other third that it might be on the fence to actually educate them and inspire them about what you actually are all about, right? Forget about that third that doesn't like you because that's energy wasted on them. So when you're going up on stage, if you go in and say, okay, cool, third of the, of the, the audience sure is not gonna like me, let's focus on the people that are gonna like me, right? So that fear of judgment, you need to accept I'm going to be judged regardless. If you're going to be, fear, if you have a fear of judgment, then you can't then post up a photo up on your social media. You can't walk down the street. You can then not even share your experiences or even your thoughts in a in a room full of people in your office because they will you have a fear of being judged even in that environment. Because think about, there will always be people out there that are not going to like you and you're then going to be restricted about doing anything. So I always say, Focus on the good, focus on the people that love and that's how you're going to get over your fear of doing absolutely anything because you're not going to really care about giving your energy to the ones that are going to dislike you. People ask me and even if you go onto my social media, you know, I have a great community on my social media and it's all positive vibes. I don't, you know, I mean, I put out positive positive energy out there and I definitely get it back and I would say that I would get a very small amount of negative feedback, but when I do, it's never like, oh my gosh, I can't believe they said that. I actually smile and go, oh my god, it's one of my 33.33% my of people. I laugh now. I interviewed recently Jay Shetty, who was incredible. And I kind of taught this model, and his event. He said, Shireen, do you mind sharing something? And I taught this because if you're gonna be successful on social media and you're putting yourself out there, you need to be prepared that people out there are not gonna like you, and, and it's that third. But you don't care, if they do, you're just gonna go, wow, I've actually got them. You're not gonna be, you're not gonna make everybody happy, not everyone's gonna love you. And Jay, you know, he's such a great guy, I've got so much respect for him. And I posted up a photo of him and I, we were both chatting about something. And funny that, um, you know, all the feedback was great. Oh my God, I love him, and I'm Shereen. I'm so jealous. Oh my God, how do I come to this event? And, And whatnot, all of that. And then there was this one that said, oh, I don't think he's very good. And, and, you know, and I showed that to him and he was like, ah, oh, that's one of my third. <laughs> it's my third. And it was, it was exactly that. You can't even take offense to it. It's just you've got to consider we all have them.
1: It's just a rule of
2: life. We all have them. It's, the best of us have them. Right, so if you appreciate and live by that, you will never get offended by when they say anything and they exist and they come up. You're like, cool, I know who you are now. You're all that third and I'm cool with that. You have to surrender and be totally cool with it.
1: Coming up next, Shireen and I talk social media and the power that goes with not just being an influencer, but the power of the followers too. That's next on Life Beats on Pulse 95.
2: Talk about radio. It's Pulse 95.
0: Life beats. Life beats with Sally Musa only on Pulse ninety five.
1: It's life beats with me, Sally Musa, and I'm talking to international presenter and coach Shireen Mitwali. And not surprisingly, the conversation moves to social media and her role as an influencer. I want to ask you about you know social media, being an influencer. Influencers now have such you know a bad name, really. Mm. The whole idea of being an influencer and it's that sense of entitlement and then you know do they really take their influence seriously they mm. like to tell people what to wear what to buy but actually it's in your actions as well and how mm. you are with other people yep. how do you feel about it
2: look I don't I never put it out there to become an influencer it's not what I title myself as for sure am I of influence yes because I see that I see that through the numbers Like, for example, you know, and it's not something that I would get remunerated for, but I have a lot of friends that have restaurants and whatnot, and they'll be like, Shereen, do you mind, you know, coming in, or do do you mind us doing an experience at your house? And, you know, I would promote their businesses, and they'll go, oh, my God, you wouldn't believe that we got 10 bookings right after you promoted us. And not that I got anything out of it. I mean, I really enjoyed the experience. I was just sharing my experience on a genuine level, and I would see the result that comes from that. And so I'd go, wow, you know, I mean... At at 2,000 dirhams that they would have charged for that fee, they would have earned 20,000 dirhams, you know, right after my promotion. That's, that's good. Um, So, do I consider myself as an influencer? I don't title myself as that. I'm honestly, I, I always say this, I'm a normal, regular person, that even how my social media following has come about is completely organic and completely, you know, general. I was out there, I was inter- interviewing various different people, from the Richard Bransons to Lewis Hamilton. I think my most amount of followers came when I interviewed Zac Efron.
1: <laughs> <laughs> but do you and think, they were like young girls. You know, influencers, the far. whole idea yeah, of an influencer has just gone too far. And we're too obsessed with the whole
2: idea of being an influencer or following somebody. I think somebody. society controls that. And I, always, and I always put that back onto the followers. I think the followers have much more power than they think. They think they're just a number. But let's just say, for example, and I've been very, I'm sure you've probably seen my social media, one of my things that I've been really um, putting out there is people who snap and drive, and especially snapping themselves whilst they're driving. (laughs) And I think Mm. that that is so irresponsible, especially if you are an influencer, because people are looking at you as a role model. And if you're doing it, you're saying to the world, well, it's acceptable to then, you know, to basically be on your phone um, and, and it's not just being on your phone, but it's being on your phone recording a message, so you're now thinking about what you're saying, recording and seeing how you look, and driving. And that's a lot of things, even for a woman to do, yeah. you know, um, and to be responsible for so I've been putting a lot of information out there, saying, you know, what should we do yeah. to those people that are doing that? You know, and um, you know, a lot of them come back, you know, is it fair to unfollow these people? You know, the public have got that control.
1: Coming up next, I ask Shireen about how motherhood has changed her and she opens up to me about the struggle that she went through to become a mum for the first time. These powerful insights that you don't want to miss next on Life Beats on Pulse 95. Talk about radio.
0: Talk about radio. It's Pulse 95. Life Beats, life Beats with Sally Musa only on Pulse 95. 95.
1: Yes, it's Life Beats with me, Sally Musa, International speaker and life coach, Shireen Mutuali became a mum this year for the first time to beautiful baby Yasmin. Here, she opens up to me about the struggles of conception and how motherhood has changed her.
2: I have a great work-life balance because of her. I try to spend my mornings um, with her and then go into the office and try to finish and I'm much more efficient. I go in, I do whatever I have to do and I want to leave because I want to come back to her. Um, you know, for me it was a struggle uh, and I'm going to be really honest, it was a struggle to get her. You know, we got married um, five years ago, we decided after year two to try for a baby and we've been trying for the past three years for a baby. And it was difficult. It was difficult to conceive. you know. And it's something that I'm not familiar with when, when your body says, no, I don't, I'm don't. i not gonna do what you want me to do because I'm used to, if I want something, I go get it. I'll work hard for sure, but I'll get it eventually. And it doesn't work like that with, with your body and, and conception. I don't, I don't know exactly what was wrong. The doctors could never tell us what was wrong, but we did a whole heap of tests. We tried for a whole year and then realized we weren't going anywhere. And that's when we started seeing the doctors, and it was test after test, and then we ended up end up going for IVF, two rounds of IVF and resulted in her. So now you can imagine how dear she is. and and, and I, don't how get me difficult wrong. was that? How difficult was that? Look, of course it was I wouldn't say it's extremely difficult. i'm I'm tough, so'm I can go through it. Um, I was I was focused. It was a, even after I had a miscarriage after the first try. And that resulted in a miscarriage. In fact, I found out that on the 1st of March, so it was, um, eight, de- it was seven days before International Women's Day, and I was hosting a huge International Women's Day event last year. And I uh, had a whole heap of people um, coming and speakers and whatnot. And I, and I had just, on the 1st of March, gone through a miscarriage. And I just, you know, my husband was like, cancel, cancel, cancel your International Women's Day event. I'm like, I can't, I've got 250 people coming. But that, it made me realize that's what being a woman is about anyway. So I had to celebrate being a woman because that's the sort of stuff we have to go through. We would go through some sort of trauma like this and we would have to just go and live and get over it. And for me, to be honest, and probably thinking, oh, how do you just get over it? Um, for me, I believe that everything happens for a reason. The journey that I went through in terms of uh, the struggles that I had in terms of conception, I needed to go through that to learn that you just, that you need to appreciate everything happens at the right timing. Um, also, like even things like miscarriage, I needed to go through that to really appreciate the empathy. I never really appreciated a loss before. Um, so now when a woman speaks about a loss or a miscarriage, I completely empathize with her. I've been there and done that. I've struggled with that. And you know what, they always say you might, you appreciate something much more when you struggle to get it. And I appreciate my life so much more. So when anyone tries to make me feel guilty about what I have, or you know, having my husband or my child, I don't feel guilty about having it, I've earned it because of the struggles that I went through. And people are like, oh my god, you have such a perfect life. I'm like, sure, now I have a perfect life, but look at what I had to go through. Um, So it's it's the struggles that make us stronger. And I wouldn't change, I know you're looking at me like, oh my god, you've been through so much. I wouldn't change anything. I really wouldn't I love I loved everything about my journey especially my pregnancy even though I had to go through two rounds of IVF I'm glad I went through it it made me appreciate that nothing comes easy nothing great comes easy right she's amazing she's changed my life so was she worth it absolutely was she worth every jab that I had to get ready for the egg collection that I went through absolutely so yeah, so she's the love of my life and uh, I can't even explain to you what my mornings are like when she wakes up and she wakes up with like, I don't know, maybe she gets that from me, but she wakes up with a complete smile like it's another day and she, that's how she wakes up. I've met her. That's just how you meet Yasmin. Yeah, she's she tells just you these big Bubbles smile. and smiles. And so yeah. I'm just very, very grateful that she's healthy, that she's a happy baby and that's all I could ever ask for. Um, so you know, for me, when people say like, oh, "Do you want a 2nd I'm happy. I'm not even thinking about the second right now. I'm beyond happy that I got one. I fought for that one, and I got it, and I'm so grateful. Some people are still going with you know five, six rounds of IVF, and they're still not successful. So after two rounds of IVF, I'm say I'm so lucky. And people might think, "Oh well, you're not because you had to go through th- you know three years, two rounds, God knows how much money." No, absolutely not. It's perspective. I am so lucky to have experienced it. I had a great pregnancy. Um, my birth story was, you know, everything went according to plan, but I prepared for it mentally. I had a great team around me and a great midwife that coached me um, around everything. My preg- my birth was around under three, three hours. So, I mean, everything afterwards was just a blessing. And I just feel, honestly, I feel Rabbena and I feel God has just been watching over me the whole time. Um, so now I feel incredibly blessed that I have her. So how has she changed me? She's changed everything about me. I'm much more patient. I have, um, I'm just much more calmer, I would say. And I appreciate everything. Like now, like I appreciate my friends so much more. I realize that time is just so precious and time is so short and I appreciate, now I just appreciate every little thing in yeah. my life down to my, my team I love I what's, appreciate everything what's
1: the biggest thing you want to teach her oh gosh there's so much
2: I, t- I teach her now like I tell her about manifestation I, we have so many stories together I mean she's poor thing she's only five months <laughs> <but> like, <laughs> and um, actually it was really funny because my husband um, I just did a big motivational speech in Abu Dhabi last week and it was with a whole heap of really high-profile lawyers and he was he was just asking me what it was it like and you know gave him some feedback and I said that you know, the feedback was about them being heard you know whether it's in the workplace whether it's socially professionally and he just went and he turned around and goes geez Yasmin is definitely not gonna have an issue about being heard <laughs> and that was his response <laughs> um, But yeah, I mean, definitely what I'll be teaching her, of course, is communication. But just, you know what? I'm going to teach her just to be an all-round, a good person. If you've got a good heart and you're, uh, no matter what position you're in, no matter how much you have, that you be as humble as possible. You don't act better than anybody else. Especially, and and, you know, I understand the difficulties uh, of being raised in a region like Dubai where they might be a little bit spoiled. But that is gonna be the most important part. I will want her to make her bed every morning, regardless you know, if she has a nanny or not. But I would want her to do the smaller things and just to be as grounded as possible. Shireen Metwally, thank you so much.
1: My it's just amazing. Amazingly open and honest insights from Shireen Metwally. And of course, if you missed any part of the interview, you can find it on the Life Beats podcast on SoundCloud and Apple Podcasts. Just search for Life Beats. Make sure you subscribe and then you'll know as soon as it hits. And coming up next, we pay tribute to the man who changed superheroes and made them relatable to the masses. That's coming up next on LifeBeat on Pulse 95. Pulse 95. Pulse
0: 95. Pulse. Pulse 95. The heart of Sharjah.